welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast. We have a really special bonus episode for you today. Uh, I am going to be interviewing a special guest and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So go ahead. (laughs) Hello. I guess the name that I'm going by in the podcast is Jezebel uh, because she was a Bible character who, according to Google, (laughs) (laughs) represented feminine evil and I thought that was pretty cool. She was like a false priestess and yeah, and so you liked that. I thought that was pretty cool. And that's just like you, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so Jezebel is my daughter and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her experience, her life, growing up in the church, the things that she experienced from like the perspective of, you know, being my daughter, I, you know, I, I told my introduction story and you know a little bit about me. So we're going to hear her perspective and her story of leaving the church as well. So let's get into it. Okay. Well, I mean, if you know my mom's story, it's pretty much, I grew up in the church and I was very much, I believed in it. Very true believing It was a big part of my life, and I really just wanted to be as good as possible. Mm -hmm. I was a total perfectionist. All I wanted was to make everybody happy with me and make everybody love me and be proud of me. And the church made that very easy because if I did everything they told me to, then everyone around me was like, oh, you're so good. You're such a good example. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know... And that's all I wanted. So I did my best and I went to church and I did my callings and all of that. Yeah. And I have to jump in here and say that I always knew probably from a really young age that you were my most spiritual child, that you had an intuitive nature about spiritual things and about connection to the divine maybe. And so we can get into like where you land now, but um, for sure, as a kid, you, you always really embodied goodness and spirituality. And, and I think obedience was part of that too. I mean, it's not like you were ever a disobedient child or anything. Yeah. I remember growing up and seeing you fight with my older brother, Mm -hmm. you guys Mm -hmm. would always fight about the church Mm -hmm. or about whatever. It wasn't always about the church, but I remember watching that and thinking, oh man, I never want to fight with my parents like that. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to disappoint my parents like he did. I don't want to disappoint my parents. Wasn't that part of it? Definitely. I just wanted to be as good as possible and do anything and everything. And I, I had... I mean, we're still friends. I have this best friend. I don't really know what to call her, (laughs) Um, but I'm not going to use her real name. And we grew up together. We were friends ever since we were really little. And we just got along. You're only about three weeks apart in age, right? Yeah, Yeah. we're really close in age. We like always had so much fun together. Like she's still one of the most influential people in my life, and I and I love her. Um, And we 
were both really, really into the church. Uh-huh. Whenever we would meet, we would talk about the church or we'd go to the temple together. Or we'd go to church together. It was something you'd that... You'd go to the bishop's storehouse together. We, like, yes. that's what you guys did for fun. Yes. We went to the bishop's storehouse for fun all the time. Uh-huh. And it was fun. We yeah. liked it. And we... We just really loved the church, and she was a big part of me being in the church and staying in the church and, like, keeping it as a big thing in my life. Yeah. I think the, like, judgment, if I had fallen off the wagon at all, from her would be a lot to mm-hmm. take, mm-hmm. and she kind of inspired me to keep being spiritual and, you know, when I had problems or when I had doubts, she was there to kind of help me and guide me and same same with me for her and so that was a hard thing leaving the church is explaining it to her because uh-huh. she just didn't understand and I guess I should go into my story of how I left the church yeah yeah jump back a little bit mm-hmm. because that's further ahead do you want to talk about like junior high years yeah I want to first mention like when dad left Oh, okay. So. Well, okay. So you did mention how we were always fighting with your brother because mm-hmm. he wanted to leave. Yes. And we really wanted him to stay. Mm-hmm. And so that was a constant fight. Eventually, we gave in and just let him do what he wanted. And and he left. So he was mm-hmm. the first person gone. Yes. Right? Okay. And then, then your dad. So. And then dad left. And I, how old was I when that happened? I was. I don't know, maybe 10. T- yeah, young. And I felt a personal responsibility to save my family and make sure that we'd all be together. Really? Yes. I definitely, like, I felt that that was something that I needed to do. Mm. And I needed to work even harder and be even better so that my family could all be together. So what is your recollection about when that happened and how it happened and how you found out about it? And if... What, if any, conversations we had about it or what your understanding of it was and also like how big of a surprise or not surprise at all that it was, things like that. I I don't ever remember my dad being really into the church and it was kind of like he started going less and less Mm -hmm. and then eventually I remember you telling me, like sitting me down, like, hey, dad's not going to church anymore but I, I didn't really, you never really told me a lot of the details about it back then. And all I knew is that, oh no, our family might not be together forever. Mm. You know, that big, like that's a scary thing for a mm-hmm. 10-year-old girl to think about is that mm-hmm. we won't be together. And that's what I wanted. And I think the church really teaches us to want that picture-perfect family. For sure. And that was no longer happening. That wasn't a thing anymore. We didn't have you know, the picture perfect family because our my dad didn't go to church. So like, yeah. I think it was hard on me. Did that um, cause you to have any resentment towards your dad or judgment towards your dad? Not really resentment, but I think judgment. I was a very judgmental person. I, I definitely was like, I was, it just made me sad, you mm-hmm. know, and I immediately start thinking of like, oh, what can I do? How can I be such a good example that mm-hmm. I can fix all of this? Mm-hmm. And I definitely wanted to be a good example. And that kind of continued on until junior high. 
well, all through junior high. And I, in junior high, became friends with a lot of LGBTQ kids. I, it started with my best friend, not the one I mentioned earlier, <laughs> a different one that went to the so same school So the best friend me. you mentioned earlier lives far away. Yes. Let's just say that. She lives far so away. So she doesn't go to school with you, that kind of a thing. You guys yeah. have a, a separate connection. So in school, like your friends in school were separate from her. Yes. Okay. So one of my really best friends in school, she was gay. She identified as lesbian and I mean, she still does. <laughs> uh, and so she kind of introduced me to all of her friends who, of course, were all, you know, they were kind of this big group of LGBTQ kids. And they were in the great Gay Straight Alliance and all of that. And I kind this of... This would have been in eighth grade? This was eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. And I became friends with them with kind of the mentality is like, oh... They'll see what a good example I am. And then maybe they'll join the church. Because, I mean, Mm. everything has to be tied back to the church. Right. Of course. Like, you can't just be friends with a person because you like them. No, no, no. Right. There's always an ulterior motive. And there definitely was. Mm -hmm. So I, I was friends with them. And I really did like them. I know that makes it sound like I didn't like them. I do. And, but there was kind of, that's how I had to justify it. That I was friends with people who weren't in the church. Like, how can I justify that? It was that I'm going to be a good example. And they're going to see that people in the church aren't that bad. Right. Because they all did not like the church. These were all kids whose parents hated, like, gay people. Or, you know, they were very religious. Usually their parents were religious. And so they did not like the church at all. And These were kids who had been hurt by the church. Yes. They were rejected and hurt. And they didn't like it. And I was hoping that I would set such a good example by being nice to them that they would see that not everyone in the church is bad and bigoted. No, I'm different. I'm special. Mm -hmm. I'm so special. That's Mm -hmm. always what I thought. (laughs) And eventually, about a year later, it was like January of ninth grade when I realized that I had a crush on my said best friend from school. (laughs) I... Oh my goodness, this was like total earthquake, totally had to break down everything that I had previously thought. I had never before this time thought that I was interested in girls. It had never even like occurred to me. I mean, like being friends with lots of gay people, they would always, they could tell before I could. They would always be like, saying that I, are you sure you're not gay? Like, are you Mm -hmm. sure? Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, I'm definitely straight. I am so straight. I love boys so much. They're the best. (laughs) And um, then I, then I realized I had a crush on her and it was like, oh my goodness, how do I even justify this? How do I even deal with this? Because I mean, I've always been a very emotionally open person, Mm -hmm. very emotional, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't just, like, deny how I was feeling. Like, I didn't even know how to do that. Like, it was like, this is a huge thing, and I would think about it all the time. Like, what what do I do? Like, and I definitely remember trying to pray the gay away, like, mm. every night for, like, a long time. <laughs> like, 30 minutes at least. 30 mm. minutes to an hour every night. 
praying like, hey, make this go away or help me deal with this. Like, what do I do? No answer. There was no like comfort. It was kind of like, well, this is just something you're going to have to struggle with. Kind of what the church teaches is like, you got to, it's a trial. It's a trial from God. You'll get through it. Did you ever feel like God was there and listening? Or did you feel kind of an emptiness when you prayed about this issue? Looking back, I think it felt pretty empty. But at the time, I was so convinced that God was there. I think it was kind of like, I felt a pressure to be like, oh, no, he's there and he's listening. I know So would you say that before this time that you'd had answers to your prayers and spiritual experiences where you knew God was... Oh, yeah. Aware of you and involved in your life? Yes, definitely. I had tons of spiritual experiences, and then at this time, it felt very silent. I think Mm -hmm. subconsciously, I really didn't know what to do. Because, I mean, when you pray and you have those answers from your prayers, I think it's very much like, this is what the church has told you, and so that's that's what God is going to say. And, oh, look. I feel it. I feel the spirit right now. So the thing that the church told me is true because... Yeah, because I think your mind goes back to what you've been taught Mm -hmm. and you remember those lessons and the things that you've learned and they come to your mind at that time because you've Mm -hmm. been so indoctrinated. Yeah. So therefore that feels in the moment like an answer. Yes. Like I already know the answer to this. Yeah. Right. But in this instance, I really didn't know the answer and... I did my research, of course, with only God-approved sources. Nothing. God-approved. All, they're all God-approved sources. And it kind of, it was a so, slow so, evolution. Sorry. Yeah. Ex- explain that to me. Doing your research. What does that mean? Explain so that. I, I would ask, I think, like, mainly I remember asking my seminary teacher. Okay. Um, at the time, in ninth grade, and... This was before I actually asked a person. It was a while because I didn't want to admit it to myself. Mm-hmm. So there was a long time of like me having to admit it to myself and then eventually being like, yes, I do have feelings for a girl. And then it was kind of like, you know, reading your scriptures, reading, I don't know, talks from like prophets and yeah. and all those things and kind of. Figuring out Were you what... looking for, like, specific teachings about gay people? Kind of. I was looking for what I was supposed to do. Okay. Because okay. I, I don't really know what I believed about gay people, but it was definitely, like, it, it kind of slowly got broken down from gay people are bad or it's just, it's just a phase, like, but then when I started making friends with these people, it was kind of like, okay, they're not that bad. Mm -hmm. They don't do bad things all the time. This is kind of question, this is making me question what I've been taught. Like, oh, you know, and I kind of, I don't know, I broke it down into this is, this is okay. It's okay to be gay as long as you don't act on it. Mm -hmm. Can't act on it at all. And that's what I kind of decided, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm gonna be okay with being gay, but I'm not going to tell anyone, and I'm not going to act on it. Then it kind of, that's a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. I was never good at keeping secrets. I, it was not very long. It's not like I went years with, 
without telling anybody. This was over the course of, like, five months, maybe, Mm -hmm. between, like, realizing I was gay and being open. But I'm trying to remember how it all went down. Um, Go back to when you talked to your seminary teacher. What did you ask him and what did he say? So I asked him... I mean, I obviously didn't say anything about me being gay, but I told him, I was like, hey, I have friends who are gay, and I was wondering, like, is it okay for gay people to date as long as they don't get married? Because I know they're not supposed to get married in the temple, but is it okay for them to just date as long as they don't act on it? And he was like, no, that is not okay. Gay people shouldn't be dating. This is, you know, and it was a very, very soul-crushing conversation because it was like, yeah, "Yeah, no, this is not okay. I'm not allowed to act on it. And I, for a while, was like, okay, I'll just not act on it and it'll all be okay. But that didn't last very long because I eventually told someone, the first person I told was my sister, my older sister, and it was trying to remember how the conversation went. She kind of, she kind of asked me. It was not like a, hey, I have to tell you something kind of conversation. It was like, I'm pretty sure she asked me. She was like, are you, are you sure you don't like girls? And at this point, it had, it had been maybe two months of me realizing it. And I was like, I didn't, I remember just like sitting there and like looking at her because I'm not a good liar. I cannot lie to anyone for the life of me. Yeah. And I knew that if I said, no, I'm super straight, <laughs> she would know I was lying. And I also didn't ever feel good about lying. I never wanted to lie about it. And so I kind of just, like, I looked at her. She was looking at me and she's like, are you? And I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was me coming out for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then... The first question she asked after that was, is it your best friend? And I was like, yeah, is it that obvious that I like her? Mm -hmm. And at that time, this best friend that I had a crush on had a girlfriend, which I thought was great because, oh, I don't even have to, like, do anything because, you know. She's she's, already dating somebody else. She's already dating someone. And obviously, you know, we're already in eighth grade grade or ninth grade she's they're probably gonna get married so I won't ever have to worry (laughs) I don't know why I had this mentality of like oh I'll never get a chance with her because she's already dating someone um they talked about marriage all the time actually they did yes looking back that's funny they were really cringy hate to say it yeah they were mm. anyway eventually I think I came out to this best friend after that and then I came out to my wonderful mother here. <laughs> She's saying wonderful sarcastically. It didn't go that well. Um, it did not go very well. I I remember sitting in your bathroom and kind of talking about it. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but yeah. I remember kind of saying like, yeah, I I think I like girls. And this was the first time I'd really, like, talked about how I felt outside of, like, saying, yes, I'm, I'm, I like girls. It was more like talking about how this affects me and how I have to think about this with the church. Like, you know, and that was kind of the first time I talked about it. And you had kind of said, like, you won't be as happy 
with a woman as you would be with a man. And Really? I said that. Yes. You said you can't can never be as happy because you won't be married in the temple. Mm-hmm. And um <laughs> and I think I'm not good at remembering things. Part of my memory is that I tried to convince you that you weren't. Yes. I, like, I was like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Is that? Yes. Because that's my memory, but it could totally be wrong. And yeah. don't be afraid to tell the truth about yeah, no, my reaction I think, and stuff. Because I, I think, think people right. can learn from bad mm-hmm. examples. Yeah. So. I think initially you were like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think you're being influenced by your friends and... You know, are you sure? Are you sure you like girls? Because I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I have to. Did you have any idea like beforehand before I told you? Um, no. I the only, literally the only kind of moment in time that I recall is when your friend, your 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 first friend that you talked about. Oh. Um, that was very oh, yeah. religious with you. She went to her mom saying, I'm worried <laughs> that Jezebel might be gay. She was very concerned for you. Mm-hmm. And so then her mom reached out to me and told me that. And I was yeah. like, no, I'm not gay. She just has gay friends, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, stop. Tell your daughter to stop stressing out about yeah. it. She doesn't need to worry about it. Um, but I mean, that, that was like almost a year before that. Yeah. It was before I even knew. Yeah. And I didn't have, I, no, I, I never saw any signs. I was, um, very proud of you for being so loving and accepting of the gay community and Mm -hmm. having gay friends. I always thought that I was pretty, uh, gay affirming and that, you know, I wasn't judgmental of gay people. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was an ally yeah. Um, until it's your own daughter. Until it's your own child. And, and then suddenly all the indoctrination from your whole life comes flooding in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, keep going. Yeah. But I I always thought, like, at least a couple months beforehand that you knew. And it might be from being told from a young age that you could always tell when I was lying. Oh I remember when I was little, if I ever lied to you, you'd be like, I can tell you're lying. I know you're lying. And I believed that so much. <laughs> I was like, my mom always knows when I'm lying. I can't lie to her. Um, so I always thought that you knew. <laughs> no, I didn't know. But I did know that you were struggling with something because mm-hmm. there was a shift in you for a few months where you spent a lot of time alone in your bedroom with the door closed and you didn't do that before that period of time. Yeah. So I saw that and you were also having some health problems and, you know, we were kind of figuring out some of that. And yeah. so I thought it had maybe to do with that. And I thought maybe you were, you know, struggling with depression or anxiety mm-hmm. or things like that. And we'd been to some doctors, you remember. Mm-hmm. And so, no, but I, I it never crossed my mind. That you were struggling with your sexuality, which, you know, struggling, I put in air quotes because, uh, and I've said this before that the only reason that gay people struggle is because we put struggle on them. Yeah. We teach them that it's bad and therefore they struggle. It's not, nobody's sexuality should be a struggle. It's not innately so. It's only that way because of the way they've been taught or the way they've been treated. Mm -hmm. So. I think, I mean, before... Like, you've told me about how you were worried about me shutting myself in my room. And I really think that that had more to do with 
like my health problems mm-hmm. than my sexuality because I really didn't realize it until about January mm-hmm. of ninth grade. And, but I do, like, there, during that time from, like, January to May, there was a lot of anxiety. It was kind of, like, it would just circle in my head. And, like, it was, it was very scary for me to, to have to deal with this and, like, how, what I've been taught since I was little is, you know, changing. How I have to rethink everything Mm -hmm. to match how I feel and they don't line up very well. Did you feel like there was something wrong with you? I, yes. <laughs> I think it was very much, I thought of it as like, oh, this is, this is a trial. Mm-hmm. I have to get through it. It was or very weakness. like. Yeah, it was, it was something I needed to just get through and I thought eventually it would be better. Um, but then upon more like research in the church, it, I kind of, it was taught that Oh, it'll all be better in the afterlife. And that's a long time to wait. That is mm-hmm. that is a lifetime of just waiting. And I had, you know, I and then I kind of went into my progressive Mormon phase mm. where I was like, yep, I'm a good Mormon, so I'm just going to wait that lifetime. I'm going to wait that long time. I'm going to be celibate. Um, but I'm going to be a progressive Mormon and show people that you can be gay and be in the church. So I decided I was going to be open about my sexuality, but I was going to remain in the church because that's what I had kind of decided is what a good Mormon girl would do. Okay, so so just to maybe have you back up just a tiny bit, it, um, that first conversation with me mm-hmm. where I kind of tried to talk you out of it mm-hmm. or convince you that that wasn't reality... From that point, see, and I, I don't have the greatest memory, but I feel like maybe we didn't talk about it for a couple weeks or a few weeks, no, maybe, and I then we talked about it again. Or in in my memory, I after that conversation, I kind of like I very much just like shut down my feelings, which yeah. is something I've I've done a lot in the past around the church. I kind of shut down my feelings. I was like, okay. I'm not going to think about it because that's you kind too of hard did get about. upset with me and you yes. said it's just a thought mom I don't know if I really feel this or it's just yes. it's just how I feel and mm-hmm. maybe it's not you know or something I think you kind of got upset with me yes and and that that kind of rejection yeah I shut everything down and I kind of stopped thinking about it I didn't want to think about it um but then I think it was like a couple days later. I don't remember a lot of time passing okay. between that first conversation and the next conversation where you had said, hey, I've done some research and I've discovered that this isn't right. What I told you a couple days ago was not right. And you kind of sat me down in your room and we were talking about how, you know, it's okay. And it's hard to remember. <laughs> And it, I, I don't think, I mean, if you can't remember the words that were said, that's okay. Cause I, I me neither, but like mm-hmm. what, what kind of, what was the feeling of the message that, it, that I was giving you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it was a lot more accepting. Yeah. It was a lot more of like, Hey, this is okay. What I said before, that's not really, it's not really true. You mm. are perfect just the way you are. You don't have to change anything. And that was a really... 
like that changed a lot about how I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. And I think like it was much better. Yeah. <laughs> like it it was very I don't know, it was very comforting to hear you say that. Because of course all that I've ever wanted since I was a kid was approval and love and for you to be proud of me and that kind of made me feel so much better like this weight had been lifted because I didn't need like what the church has told me is is different than what you're saying right now yeah because I had kind of equated like my mom's thoughts are the same as the church thoughts Mm. like it's gonna be the same she wants me to be in the church and and follow the church what the church says. Yeah. And so when you said this, it kind of, it changed everything. It kind of like gave you permission to disagree with the church maybe? Yes, definitely. Gave me permission to disagree. And it was, I think it was pretty uphill after that. It was still a slow climb to where I am now because I still had all of this indoctrination of, this is still not okay. Uh-huh. Like, this is still, you know, I, w- I had definitely accepted myself. Like, internally, there was less, like, self-loathing about it. It was more like, this is who I am. This is okay. Yeah. Everyone else is going to have to deal with it. I'm going to be open about it. Right. But you still had, you know, 14 or 15 years of mm-hmm. indoctrination yes. to sift through. I mean, it's not just like you make a decision and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. It's It's still a lot of work. To keep challenging your your beliefs that are embedded in your brain, mm-hmm. right? And the thoughts and feelings and experiences you've had your whole life. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just saying, I accept myself, right? Mm-hmm. It's a continuous uh, struggle, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And this this was kind of where I had decided, like, oh, I'm going to accept myself, but I'm still going to be celibate. Yeah. I'm not ever going to date women. And I had I, I identified as bisexual. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, I'll just date boys. Like, it's okay. It's all good. And I think that's something you told me during our first talk mm. is because I told you I was bi and you yeah. were like, that's great. That's great. You can just choose a boy. You can just choose a boy. <laughs> and yep. so that that was my plan for a good long time. And you were still very much committed to the church. Yes. Very and committed. And I was too. Yes. Yeah. For a while. Yes. For a while. And so I still had a crush on this girl and... I still needed to figure that out. We went into high school. I followed her to high school. She she was going to a different high school than me, and I got a variance, and I went to the same high school as her. <laughs> and we were we were really close. We still we still are close. My sophomore year of high school, I kind of I was still fifteen. I have a late birthday, so I was still fifteen. But I there was this guy that I really really liked. And he really, really liked me, which is the best part, obviously. (laughs) That's all you want is some guy to like you. And that didn't really end well at all. He turned out to be very manipulative and not a good example and not a good person to be around. That was (laughs) probably the last guy that I had ever been interested in. And like, as far as I can remember, other than... TV characters mm-hmm. and Roderick Heffley. I think <laughs> I think that was the last guy I ever liked. Roderick. <laughs> um, oh, Roderick. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And I, because I wasn't 16 yet, I was not going to date him. And that was, we had kind of gotten to the point where we both told each other that we liked each other. 
but I had decided that I wasn't going to date him. And I told him that, and he wasn't in the church, but again, that, oh, I'm going to be a good example. And Mm -hmm. if he really likes me, he'll join the church. Mm. And that really didn't end well. Um, And this experience was something that really made leaving the church hard because I really thought like, oh, me not dating until I was 16, like protected me Mm. from getting into a relationship with him. And it, but I, I realize now that it was kind of, I, if the church hadn't taught me that I couldn't really protect myself, then I would have been able to protect myself better. Mm. It was, so I really, I, I depended on the church a lot. And that's kind of an example of it, of me depending on the church. But the church kind of like, it gives you a sickness and then sells the cure. Because it, it makes you <sighs> yeah. feel like you're not, you don't have worth. You're not strong enough without the church. And then it says, oh, but we're here. Yeah. We're the church. So and we'll fix it. As long we'll as, make you whole. Yes. As long as you always depend on us, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. The summer after sophomore year, well, during like May, my best friend broke up with her girlfriend. Woohoo! This is the best. <laughs> because then during that summer in about July, we started dating. And we dated for a couple months and then we broke up. But yeah. that was... That was a big thing because I'm still like very slowly, you know, picking and choosing what I want to believe in the church. And when she broke up with her girlfriend, it was like, oh, this this is actually an option now because before it wasn't an option. There's not very many like there were not very many gay people that I knew that I liked. Yeah. So like dating a woman was never really an option. But now it was an option. And she she really liked me and this was this was an opportunity and i without fully like thinking about it i just i took the opportunity and we dated and it wasn't i didn't really take in the church as as a thought i guess i didn't i didn't that was a weird way to say it you didn't consider i didn't the really church in that decision yes i did not consider the church in my decision because I knew I wouldn't like the answer. <laughs> uh-huh. I I I was still I was mostly out and I think You were mostly out of the church by then? Well, I think I wasn't I mean, this was 2020. Yeah, it was 2020, so we weren't going to church. Yes. We right. we had stopped going to church and we didn't ever do any of the home things. Yeah, cuz it was the pandemic mm-hmm. and they were not holding church anymore. Uh we did have I remember at least one time where we had like somebody come over and give us the sacrament because dad couldn't do it. (laughs) Uh, So I remember that once, but uh, how this like coincides time-wise with my leaving the church was, uh, I mean, I, my memory is that I was pretty much out by about May of 2020 that like the, I was out before I was mentally out, I guess, before the pandemic. Mm. And then the pandemic hit and I kind of hung in there a little bit longer. And then I was just like, nope, I'm totally out. So mm-hmm. so by the summertime, by the time you're dating her, I was completely out. Mm-hmm. And I think you were still, I was still saying to you that 
you have a choice. You get to choose what you want to do. But I think I was starting to say little things here and there. Like, you need to know this about Mm -hmm. the church. You need to know this about the church. You need to know all the history of them fighting against gay rights. And you need to know all the history about the abuses in the church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the lies and the secrets and the things that they don't tell you about. Right? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of slowly... Yes. Telling you these things. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really weird time because I feel like I didn't want to like poison you against the church. Mm-hmm. But then I also was like, but she needs to know the truth. Like this is the truth. Whether or not, like I was still totally willing to let you make a decision mm-hmm. about what you wanted to do. But it had to be an informed yes. decision. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that sometimes people think, well, I'll let them figure it out. And I, I won't tell them all the bad things. I'll let them figure it out um, because I don't want to poison their mind against the church. But mm-hmm. it's like, well, first of all, you're my child. Yes. And I'm the one that indoctrinated you to begin with. <laughs> so there's a part of me that feels like I have to fix that. I have to undo mm-hmm. the damage I did there. Um, also, I was dealing with recognizing that whatever self-hatred you ever felt was because I taught you that, right? Well, mm-hmm. and the church. But I mean... Yeah. I'm fully responsible for putting you in the church, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt a lot of, I don't know what to describe that feeling as, but a lot of shame and and guilt Guilt. over putting you in this position of even questioning your worth or your value as a gay person. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I wanted you to know the truth. So I was kind of dropping little tidbits here and there. Did you... I guess there was no, there were no activities. There was no church going on. So it wasn't yeah. really. The pandemic made it really easy to mm-hmm. leave, to leave because you, I kind of learned like, oh, I'm living just fine without going to church and without going to all these activities. Like everything's fine. And I do, I do remember you telling me these things about the church. I like remember us going and putting up pride flags and you told me about the multiple accounts of the first vision and a lot about mm. Joseph Smith and his, him being a scam artist mm. and all of that. And this is again, where I am shutting down. This is where I'm don't think about it. Don't feel anything. Cause mm. it was really hard to think like everything that I've been taught is a lie. And, and this church that I care so much about has been lying to me and it's all not true. And so I remember you would tell me these things and it, they would kind of like, hit a brick wall in my brain where I'd hear them and I'd listen to them and I'd know them, but I wouldn't let them like emotionally affect me because mm. I would just kind of shut off all those emotions. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't allow myself to feel it. And it was not a conscious thing. It was never like a, whoa, I don't want to feel this. So I'm not going to think about right. it. It was like, oh, okay. Like I, I, it was definitely not conscious, but during this summer it was, you know, I had started dating a girl and I started, wearing short shorts and short skirts and I started listening to music with swear words in it. Can you believe that? I I remember going back to school on the first day of school and I was wearing a crop top and a short skirt and I picked up one of my other friends. He He's a, a trans boy. We were really close friends and I picked him up to take him to school on the first day and he gets in my car and I'm wearing a short skirt and I'm listening to this song that has a bunch of swear words in it. And he's like, 
who are you? Because we had not seen each other almost <laughs> all summer. Last he saw me, I was Molly Mormon. Yeah. And then he genuinely was like, what, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't even recognize you. He was shocked. Mm. And it was, so that summer I went through a lot of changes, but I still wouldn't like identify as ex-Mormon. I had not left the church. I was still in the church, but I just wasn't, it was, it was very much not like a conscious, like, oh, I'll still be in the church, but I'll do these things. It was kind of like, I'm doing these things because I've learned they're not that bad. And I, yeah. I had a very good influence of my older sister. Some, some might say it's a bad influence, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely, um, she influenced me leaving the church because she was kind of the only person that I knew that, like, because she wasn't super open about being out of the church. But she definitely wasn't, like, committed to the church. She was never committed to the church like yeah. you were, yeah. right? So and I it kind was of, very easy yeah. for her, like, the minute the minute we even started talking about, you know, having a choice of whether you're going to stay in the church or not, mm-hmm. she was like, I'm out. Yeah. Peace out. You know, and literally never looked back. Mm-hmm. Never, I don't think, gave it much thought at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. So she was kind of this influence of, like, this feels okay because she's she's still in the church, kind of, um, but she still does all the things that a normal teenager does. Mm-hmm. She wears short shorts and she swears and <laughs> all that. I I still I had not sworn at that point. I've never I had never said a swear word, at least not intentionally. Wow. And <laughs> it really was like months after leaving the church where, cause there was a lot of still shame about it. Yeah. Um, cause there were some things that were easier and some things that were harder to get over. And swearing was one of those things where I was like, Oh, it just doesn't feel right. Like it just felt weird to hear swear words coming out of my own mouth. Yeah. And now I swear all the time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not swear at this point. <laughs> um, and I will, progress. Just, I will just say that I've always been a proponent for swearing. Mm-hmm. Have I not? I've always sworn Yeah. your entire life. Yeah. Right. I've always been a potty mouth. I mean, since I was a teenager, I was a potty mouth. And I've always been like, you know what? Swearing feels good, so just do it. I remember having that conversation with you. I don't even think we were out of the church yet. But yeah, I'm like, sure we I think some song was on and it said the H word. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so bad. You were like, Jezebel, it's okay. You can, like, swearing's fine. It feels good. And I was like, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. I remember <laughs> I remember saying that exact thing. You said wow. swearing was okay, and I said, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. Wow, yeah. Do you remember that? Um, I think I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the kind of the final conversation about the church that was really like, okay, I can't justify being in the church anymore was, I remember we were in the Smiths parking lot. And we just got out of the store and you were talking to me about how, how can the prophet speak for God, but they can also go back and take back what past prophets have said. Mm. And that was like really like, oh, that's so logical. How do I, how do I like justify that? Because a lot of the things I was like, oh, well, you know, like justifying it in my own I think head. this is when I was reading the book Gay Rights in the Mormon Church. Mm. And I was recognizing how many times their stance on gay people changed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was a time when they said that people were gay because 
they masturbated too much <laughs> or people were gay because their dad wasn't involved in their lives enough yeah. or people were gay because or whatever. I don't know, a million different things. And then also that, oh, electric shock therapy will turn you not gay and <laughs> all this stuff. And I remember, you know, reading that book and going, okay, they've been wrong so many times. Mm-hmm. What makes us think that they're right now? Yeah. 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 So you told me all about that, about how the prophets can't really speak for God And, I mean, man, if the prophets can't speak for God, then, like, everything in the church is wrong. Right. You know? And you also told me about, like, all the massacres and killing of the Indians Uh. and, like, innocent women and children and only keeping the ones that were under eight years old. Yeah, the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Yes, that one. And... From that point, I was kind of like, you were like, this is still your decision, but I I really can't have you, I don't know, you kind of said, like, I can't have you in, in, in good conscience in the church. Yeah, blindly following yes. if you don't know these things. Yes, yeah. and I was kind of, I remember being like, okay, and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm not in the church anymore. I don't think I said that to you, but I think later that night, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm done with this. But I, it still took a while for me to fully, like, identify as ex-Mormon. Like, I'm fully out. It was really difficult to do. But I had still, I had started drinking tea. I was, (laughs) I was no longer, I know, so bad. I was no longer doing any of the things that the church You dropped out of seminary. So I did drop out of seminary. I think you only went to one day of seminary in your 11th grade year. Yeah. And after one day, you're like, I don't think I can do this. Yeah, well, I think before I even went to seminary, I was like, I don't think I'm going. I'll try it. I'll go to the first first class. Yeah. And I go to the first class, and I remember the seminary teacher was like, hey, guys, I'm going to have you each write, like, a letter to me telling me about yourself. And I was like, hi, my name's Jezebel. I'm not, probably not going to come to this class ever again, so. You said that in your letter? I did. I said that. I was like, I'm probably not ever going to show up, just so you know. And wow. Yeah. And then I I didn't. Did he ever reach out to you or respond? Because nope. <laughs> I never went back. That was the only time I ever oh saw him. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, ooh, I've said some rebellious things to my seminary teachers. Yeah, I, I remember so. asking my seminary teacher sophomore year about how the family proclamation was just written so they couldn't allow gay people to get married in temple in Hawaii. Or in get married at all in Hawaii. And he was like, oh, I, I didn't know that. And I was like, did you know it was, like, written by lawyers? And it wasn't actually, like, they very conveniently had a vision mm-hmm. just right after saying that they didn't want it, gay marriage in Hawaii. And he was like, oh, I'll, I'll have to look into that. Which is always what they say. They yeah. was oh, I'll have to look into that. And I think you've talked about the time when I... Mm-hmm. Um, went to the bishop and talked about tithing, how my tithing is going to lawyers who are fighting against my own rights. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped paying tithing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I brought him cookies that time, too. You did? Yes. You brought the bishop cookies? Yes, because Aww. we needed him to... I needed my temple recommend. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe that was a different time, but I remember bringing him cookies so that he would give me a temple recommend. And he did. Oh, that was funny. I needed to go to the temple. Myth. That was probably a different time because that would have been 2020 and oh, yeah, all the temples right. were closed. But anyways, um, yeah, that's funny. So so you're not afraid to bribe. Yeah. Nope. Bribe the bishop. Um, we had a really great bishop, though. We did. Yeah. We, he, he, he responded as 
well as he could have, yeah. right? Given the circumstance. I mean, him mm-hmm. and I had multiple conversations about you and about my activity in the church going forward and my mm-hmm. beliefs and my struggles and what I didn't like about the church. And I was very open with him. And he never tried to talk me out of it. Mm -hmm. He never tried to tell you that you couldn't be who you were. Mm -hmm. He only gave love, right? Mm -hmm. He was just like, we're going to love you exactly as you are. And this doesn't make anything different. Mm -hmm. You know, when you came out to him and stuff, he was, I I have to say, I don't say this very often, you know, in all of these episodes that I've done, I know that we tend to bag on the church, Mm -hmm. but I will say that the people who are serving in the church, meaning at the ward level and at the stake level, Mm -hmm. these are some of the best people that there are. I've been so lucky to have had relationships with some fantastic church members, even seminary teachers, even we've just had really awesome experiences. And I know that that's not everyone's experience, but I also do not want to say that everyone in the church is bad. The system is bad. The organization is corrupt. And I'm sorry, but the top leadership, I I can't stand. Um, (laughs) But all the regular people in the church are some of the best people there are, right? They're just as brainwashed as us. Yeah. And like, there's kind of this level of understanding that you can have with them because... Like, I was in the same place not even that long ago. Yeah. I would have said the exact same thing. And that's why this this friend that I had who lived far away, I have such an understanding for the way that she responded to me. Yeah. So go back to. Yeah, because there were two different things that happened. So first you had to come out to her. Mm, Yeah. And then you also had to tell her that you were leaving the church. Mm -hmm. So maybe tell those two stories and how that went over and what was all involved. So when I came out to her, she was having a sleepover at my house um, for my birthday. And I told her and she was, she was really good. She was very understanding. She was like, Hey, I still love you. It's never going to change. Um, well, and that was just coming out to her, but it was later that you told her that you were leaving the church yes. or that, how did you, because did you feel like, like how, how did you describe that? Or how would you have described that? Was it, I'm leaving the church? Was it, I've lost my testimony? Was it, mm-hmm. I've had a crisis of faith? Like, how would you have described what happened to you? Does that make sense? I, ooh, I don't know if I remember it very well. I think I kind of just said like hey i i want you to know that i'm i'm not in the church anymore like it's i she might have even brought it up cuz she knew that you would left mm. and i think i was kind of like yeah i'm not i'm not doing the church anymore if you have any questions as to why i will totally answer them for you but for now i'm just saying i i don't believe in the church anymore i think They've done some things that I don't agree with, and so I'm leaving. And she responded... So this was not in person. This was over Marco Polo when I told her. And she came... She didn't reply for a couple days, and then she Mm. came back with this whole planned out talk. It sounded like a whole, like, uh, sacrament meeting talk about how I should just give it another try. She was like, for one month, I want you to pray every day and read your scriptures every day. And I promise you will change your mind. 
And remember, yes, she's like, remember all these spiritual experiences you have. She brought up like specific experiences that I had told her about. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, like hearing her list, all the spiritual miracles that I had experienced, I was like, those are all kind of (laughs) dumb. They're not really that great. There, yeah. A lot of them were either, like, coincidence or, like, really. Like, I mean, when you're in the church, it's like, oh, it's a miracle. Yeah. Just like the prophet talks about. Yeah. Just like you hear in general conference. It's a miracle. Yeah. I'm going to say this in my talk next time the bishop asks me to talk in sacrament. Like, right. it's a and miracle. And I, I think at that point I had talked to you about elevation emotion, hadn't I? Yes. Where we talked about, it's just like they teach you to... To think that any, you know, emotion Mm. that you feel, that that's telling you the church is true, you know. And I think I brought that up to her in my response, like elevation emotion. But I think I explained it in a really bad way. Mm -hmm. I don't think I got my point across very well. I, oh, I wish I could go back and really explain everything again. Because I think I was still kind of new to the whole yeah argument against the church yeah i knew that i didn't want to be a part of the church but that was before i was really good at defending my um stance yeah and so i didn't explain it very well and she yeah it it was a whole thing and i kind of after she told me to just give it a month i was like no i'm not going to do that yeah i've given I've given 16 years of my life. I think that's enough. I I don't want to waste one more month. I want to just like get on with it, go on with my life. And we, we had had a couple of more talks about it. And I think like the most recent one was this last summer, but I think we've since kind of decided like, Hey, we're never going to agree. Like, this is just kind of getting in between us. Mm-hmm. We're arguing about it too much. We're not going to talk about the church anymore. So we don't. But mm. I'm, I mean, yeah, at least not in like a way that it's like, here's my argument. Okay, where's your argument? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to change your mind kind of way. Yeah. But she's told me like her response to the elevated, elevated emotion. Elevation emotion. Elevation emotion argument was like, well, because I kind of explained it as like, oh, it's a, like chemical reaction in your brain like it's it's just an emotion and she's like well uh love is an emotion so does that mean love's not real just because it's an emotion and I'm like well I mean yes no (laughs) I didn't I didn't really know how to respond to that at the time but yeah we had lots of back and forth lots of arguments and I think we were both just getting our feelings hurt so we decided we're not gonna talk about this anymore like and I think the, the same thing happened with her mom and I, because mm-hmm. I said too much to her mom and her mom and I, mm-hmm. our relationship is very strained, yeah. actually. Uh, we've we've tried to repair things a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would say that we can have a conversation and not talk about the church and be fine. But also, I think I've changed mm-hmm. too much in the last two years. Uh, there's kind of no going back to some mm-hmm. of those relationships that maybe we're really strong at one time mm-hmm. because uh, I'm too different. It, we see things mm-hmm. too differently and it's not just about the church. It's, it feels to me like this relationship that I have with her mom is too far gone, mm-hmm. like to really repair or make better. We're, I think I'm, I'm better at setting boundaries and saying like, 
I am only going to spend time with the people I genuinely want to be with. Mm -hmm. And I get, you know, and I get to choose that. And I'm not going to have relationships out of, you know, guilt or whatever anymore. So that's kind of, that's a total side note. Mm -hmm. But so, okay. So in kind of like closing, let's just kind of wrap this up because we're about at an hour. I would kind of want to just get like maybe a, a summary of how your life has changed since making that decision. Like in particular, your, maybe your, your closest relationships, um, but also your, like how you feel about yourself and your mental health and whether you feel like, um, you know, you've lost anything or gained anything since Mm -hmm. leaving the church. I think in terms of what I've lost and what I've gained, I think I've gained a lot more. Than what I've lost. And that's saying a lot because I've lost, you know, my whole community, my whole reason for living at the time. That was yeah. my whole reason for living. And, you know, I've, I, yeah, I've lost at least a closeness with that friend and we still get along. We still have a good time, but it's not the same because mm-hmm. um, there's kind of a barrier between us. Mm-hmm. But I think the relationship that I've gained with my family has made it totally worth it. Mm-hmm. There, we're so much closer now, and because we're able to be real and not, we're not hiding things. We're not trying to seem perfect because mm-hmm. I really wanted to seem perfect. And now, like with my siblings, I can just be real, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like my best friends now. Mm-hmm. Before, I did not really have a relationship with my siblings because I was seen as kind of like the narc of the family. Like I Molly Mormon. Molly Mormon, I, you know, was the narc of the family. (laughs) I was I was, you know, judgmental and I wasn't very like upset accepting of what they were doing or like any decisions they would make. So therefore they didn't trust you. Yeah, they didn't trust me and they didn't want to spend time with me because they didn't want everything they do to be judged and that is totally fair. Mm -hmm. Um but now I'm probably closer with my siblings than I am with anyone else. And as well as my parents, yeah. like, I think our relationship has gotten a lot better. Yeah. And I don't really, I don't put, I don't seek validation as much, mm. which has been really good for my mental health. I mean, yeah. I, like, when I first left, I kind of, I mean, I switched from seeking validation from the church to seeking validation from the school. I just went on to the next thing, and then Mm. grades were the most important thing in my life. And I would have regular freakouts about my grades. But even that has gotten better as I've realized I don't need to put as much pressure on myself to be perfect. I mean, I still put pressure on it and on myself, and it's still a struggle, but I think it's gotten a lot better as I've learned to kind of dismantle that perfectionism Mm -hmm. because I was such a perfectionist. I... I remember the, like, I found some old journals from when I was in the church mm-hmm. and they were, I wrote down like my goals for the month and they were so huge, mm-hmm. like not the kind of goals a 13 year old should be making for herself. Mm-hmm. And they were so unrealistic and it was basically like, just be perfect. Mm-hmm. And there was no room for forgiveness. If I had, if I make a mistake, then it would just be like, oh. 
I messed it up. I guess I suck. Instead not of not living up to my potential. Yes. Or... Instead of like, oh, I messed up today. There's tomorrow. I'll try again for these goals. It was like. But even also, what is even messing up? Yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. It's like because I would have like daily goals, and if I didn't accomplish them in that day, then I, I ruined it. Yeah. I guess I suck. You know. Mm-hmm. But now I'm able to have like a healthy relationship with like goals and self improvement. Mm-hmm. In that I'm okay if I don't accomplish them and I can just try again tomorrow and I have such a better relationship with my family and with friends and with myself and I I definitely think things are so much better. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, I think I think the openness and realness mm-hmm. of all of our relationships has made such a huge difference because uh, I've seen in so many ways that the church makes liars out of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really forces us to put on a show or mm-hmm. present our best side or whatever. And so, man, I've heard just countless stories of kids who lie to their parents about what they're doing because mm-hmm. they they can't tell them the truth because their parents would be either so disappointed or just so pissed off at them, right? And so... Like just an example, one of my best friends who's in the church and, you know, I would see her as probably a really great mom. I mean, I've always Mm -hmm. just thought she's such a good mom and she has a great relationship with her kids. Well, (laughs) it's like she suddenly found out that her daughter's been having sex for like three (laughs) years and she didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, how could you not have known that, you know, (laughs) and like, I, I could have told you that, like mm-hmm. that was obvious, but, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, a big part of it is that her daughter was afraid to tell her because she would have been shamed. And, mm-hmm. and th- my friend was really disappointed in her that, that she was having sex and that, and, and her assumption was that her daughter must have a low self-esteem. <laughs> and I'm like, no, what if your daughter is a sexual being and she enjoys it. Like, how can that not be, you know, the reason for having sex? Like, it's just so silly. But I, and that's just one tiny example that I I constantly see stories like this Mm -hmm. where kids are not telling their parents who they are and what they're doing because they can't. Yeah. And I've always had that relationship with my mom where she could never know who I really was. She still to this day doesn't really know me. Uh, because I've never shared myself with her yeah. because she wouldn't understand mm-hmm. or because she has certain expectations of who I'm going to be and I'm not turning out to be that person, you know? Yeah. It definitely like hiding who you really are puts like a wall up where you can't get close to people. Yes. And that's kind of been my experience with like coming out because there's still people that I haven't come out to and it feels like I, I'll never be close to them. And I think we could probably have a whole episode about coming out to people. Yeah. Because I've had great experiences and I've had not so great experiences. And also like what it's like to be in the closet. Because that's a whole, it's interesting. Yeah. It's weird stuff. Um, But we could probably have a whole episode about it. Yeah. And yeah, just like being open and real with people is like life changing for your relationships. It, it really is. Like, ever since leaving the church, I feel like a person. Like, I have my own thoughts and emotions and opinions. Yeah. And I don't have to make every decision based on what would Molly Mormon do. Uh-huh. And now it's like, what do I want to do? Yeah. 
I get to do whatever I want. What do I want to do? And there's not necessarily one right and one wrong decision. Yes. That's that's part of it too, is there's such a black and white thinking in the church. And if you don't make the right decision, then you've done the wrong thing, you know? <laughs> and now I have this attitude of like, well, just choose something and yeah. you'll figure it out if if you decide down the road that mm-hmm. you didn't like that decision, well, then make a different decision. Yeah. That's all you, you do. And it's not a big deal. It's not like you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Every single choice you make, you learn something from it. I was so paranoid about making decisions yeah. because I thought there was only yes. one right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Right? It was that- like, what did God want me to do? Mm-hmm. And then it's like you'd pray and then you wouldn't feel an answer. And then you're like, oh, I just have to pick something. <laughs> and it would just... T- totally stressed me out Mm -hmm. when in reality, like, it's just a decision, like do it. And then if it's wrong, or I don't even think there is such thing as wrong, but if you change your mind or if you realize like maybe that wasn't the best path to take, well then take a new path and it's not that big of a deal. It's not like every, I feel like in the church, it always felt like everything was life or death Mm -hmm. or like you're going to hell if you don't do the right thing Mm -hmm. every moment. So yeah, that black and white thinking made like, decision-making impossible because there was a wrong answer. And even like after leaving the church, making very simple decisions was really hard because it's like, man, I don't have a manual that tells me every (laughs) single answer to every single decision Mm -hmm. because when you're in the church, you have that. You never have to make decisions because there's always a right answer and it's in this magic book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's always someone to tell you what to do, what to think. And, like, leaving the church, you have to decide that for yourself. What? And especially, like, I think the older you get, the more difficult that is because, you know, you leave the church and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm starting from scratch. When most people, normal people, are able to make these decisions gradually as they grow up. But instead, (laughs) it's like, I just left the church and now I have to make up my own mind about every single thing. Yeah, try being a (laughs) 45-year-old when you leave the church. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I have that many more years ahead of you Uh of indoctrination and brainwashing and completely um, subverting my power Mm -hmm. and my own individual authority over myself. Like... That's never been a thing until now, yeah. you know, and I've lived, hopefully I get to live another 45 years. I don't know, but you know, it's like I've lived all this time and I try, I try not to have regrets about, about all of the time wasted, you know, on some of these silly things, but because I still have had a really good life, mm-hmm. but, but it is, I'm one of the things I'm the most proud of is that my kids are all out of the church and that they're all thriving. And mm-hmm. so I love like hearing your story and having this conversation because it just really makes my heart happy because it's like, okay, I've, I mean, yes, I brought you into the church, but I also got you out. So Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that. And I'm proud that the, you know, the toxic culture and the perfectionism and all the hard things that go along with the church, they've ended with, with us. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to pass that on to if you have kids someday, which you don't have to have, you know, like, isn't that such a beautiful thing that you get to choose? There's not this Mm -hmm. perfectly prescribed path that you have to follow. Now you get to do whatever you want Mm -hmm. and, and you get to live your life authentically. uh, And yeah, you have, you know, some years of indoctrination to unravel and to, to get rid of, and that's still going to take time. And the church will probably always be a little part of you, 
but there's part of me that is just so proud of the fact that that I figured it out mm-hmm. and that you guys figured it out and that you're out and you get to just you're you're thriving so mm-hmm. much. Like that's the thing is like I think people in the church they make you fear so much about leaving mm-hmm. and that people who leave they will go down these dark paths and their lives will be mm-hmm. ruined. Well, show me. Yeah. Show me what's bad about our lives now. Yeah. There's nothing. If 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 anything it's just gotten way better. Mm-hmm. It's definitely <laughs> yeah, not gotten worse. And and you know what? There's still going to be hard things in life. Life mm-hmm. is 50-50. Yeah. We're still going to have hard times and we're going to have good times. But guess what? It's never going to be God's fault. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be our fault. It's never yeah. going to be like we're pointing a, a finger at you sinned and that's mm-hmm. why you're having a hard time in your life. Like, yeah. We just don't think that way anymore. And yeah. it's such a relief. Mm-hmm. I think in the church we're trained to like show everyone how happy we are mm-hmm. because, oh, the church makes you happy. And if I show that I'm sad, people won't see how happy I am in the church. Yeah. I, that was a big thing. I and like the church teaches you that if you're not happy, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with you or you're not living righteously enough. Yeah. So people put a smile on their faces and act like everything's great because they don't want anybody to know that they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I swear we could go on and on about this forever, but, and we'll, we'll most likely do more episodes and have more conversations about this. So I love being able to uh, kind of interview you and have you tell your story. And I think it's really beautiful and I'm really, really proud of you. And I just love you. Love you too. To the moon and back. (laughs) 